I went to Dolan as a man with a raging thirst might seek out an oasis in the desert. I drank his poisoned water and was refreshed. Welcome to Now Playing's review of Dolan's Cadillac. This is James Dolan. I'm on Highway 71 west of Las Vegas. A detour. I'm being buried alive. Part of the Stephen King movie retrospective series. He's the king of nowhere. Hosted by Arnie. When he looks at you a certain way, your prostate goes bad and your urine burns. Stuart. The grass yellows up and dies where he spits. And Jacob. He's a living, breathing, walking hazard. This podcast contains detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Relax, fucktard. Listener discretion is advised. There's no glory in fearing the unknown, and you didn't get to be where you are by being risk-averse, Mr. Dolan. We hope you enjoy the show. Let's get on the road here. Today we're taking a ride in Dolan's Cadillac, starring Christian Slater, Wes Bentley, Emmanuel Vaugie, directed by Jeff Beasley. This is the now playing co-host that makes your decade, Arnie. And Stuart. And this is he with the name of a thousand demons, and one of them's Jacob. Now, I thought you were going to unleash a string of swear words here. <laughs> yeah, just uh, just straight up racism? <laughs> yeah. I guess we've had enough of that, really. That's, it really didn't feel that, that unique. But sorry, guys. I know that the new Kingsman movie is out and we're going to cover it. Uh, we just wanted to have a Christmas, okay? Sorry, we didn't <laughs> want to record on the actual holiday. Two new movies coming out the same week of Christmas. Yeah, it's a little too much. Yeah, it was a lot of work. And so we thank you for your patience. And we're sorry that we're giving you this gift in the meantime. But yes, no King's Man today. It's Stephen King. Are you sure it's Stephen King? Because I, I read some Poe in high school. Like, this is an Edgar Allan Poe story, right? Like, this is stolen. It is the cask of Amontillado in a car. Yes, that's it. Yes. And when I read this story, maybe it's everyone's first impression. Maybe that's what he's going for. Sometimes Stephen King is pretty blatant about where his ideas are coming from. And yeah, it was King channeling Poe. Let's do this elaborate plot to bury my enemy. And I kind of liked it. I thought it actually was a, a pretty good short story. And my only disappointment really was in the end, when you think about Poe, uh, revenge never ends up well for anybody. I was really expecting the guy that had, you know, set up Dolan to also perish, but that didn't happen. Yeah, but Cask of Amontillado is one of the exceptions. The storyteller survives that one, like our main character will hear. Yeah, I was predicting so many twists that do not happen in this as I was watching it, because, yeah, that's the way you go. Mm-hmm. But apparently this was originally something that I didn't know Stephen King had his own fan letter, but in the 80s, <laughs> he was popular enough to self-publish like uh, Castle Rock. I don't know how it came, like on newsprint or whatever, but in the mail every <laughs> month, you could get a little something from Stephen King. And he serialized this story. I think it took most of a year to put out what's essentially a 50-page story. It's the longest story in Nightmares and Dreamscapes. February to June of 85. Yeah. And it's not all that long, really. I could read it in half an hour, I think it was. It was a very quick story. You know what it reminded me of more than anything? I know he released it in 1985, but this felt a lot like the Richard Bachman book Roadwork. And I'm not just saying that because there's construction involved. Yeah, I don't know that one. I never read it and they've never made a movie out of it, so I've been spared. Is that a favorable comparison? Is that a good thing? Not necessarily, but it is a bit of a revenge story, and it's all told from a single point of view from a depressed man, and ends up in some violence, and it just... That's all I kept thinking with this is this, again, we said this about one of the short stories in the Nightmares and Dreamscapes miniseries. This feels like a Richard Bachman tale, not a Stephen King tale. There's nothing supernatural going on. There's organized crime and gangsters. And whenever you see that in King writing, it really harkens back to the early Bachman days. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, murder and revenge, that's not necessarily horror. It doesn't even really play as horrific. We kind of are rooting for Dolan to get buried alive. So, yeah, it doesn't necessarily feel like something out of Skeleton Crew or Night Shift. Oh, oh, come on. This is just like the fifth quarter, which what wasn't that Nightmares and Dreamscapes? At least it was part of that TV series. Yeah, I, I could see the similarities, you know, when, when maybe he's going full Bachman. Yeah. I, Nightmares and Dreamscapes, I just got to say, as a collection, feels really thin. I know he puts in the foreword that he didn't just grab what was left in the drawer. He did. He really did. But many of the stories have that quality. And this is one that I liked. This is one that I'm just going to say, at least I like this one. Like, I haven't come across a whole lot in that compendium that I groove to, but I could see why this went into development for a very long time. They were trying for a couple decades, I think, to make Dolan's Cadillac into some kind of movie. And you know who was going to play Dolan? Stallone. Stallone was going to be the gangster? He was going to be Dolan? Was he going to be reprising his Oscar role? I mean, good question. Which would you cast him as? All I know is his name was attached for a long time. You'd probably cast him as the lead in the Wes Bentley role here, not as Dolan. I think you would cast him as a sixth grade science teacher? That seems a little too over the top for this story. (laughs) I mean, Arnold may have been able to pull off a kindergarten cop, but Sly is a sixth grade teacher? No way. I think he would be the gangster. Well, I just want to put out there, you said you liked this story. To me, the story felt like a writing exercise. I neither liked it nor disliked it. But being all in the head of one person and such a tight first-person narrative. And Jacob, just to let you know, you probably could guess, it's only the last 50 minutes of this movie. Yeah, once the car goes in the hole, that's the whole story, right? (laughs) Yeah, the first 40 minutes of this movie is backstory told in a couple of paragraphs and then the rest is all the revenge plot and i was thinking as i read it because i've never seen this movie before how would you make this a movie and then it hit me act one is you dramatize the backstory act two is you prep for the revenge act three is the revenge itself it wasn't all that difficult to come upon but how are they going to flesh out this short short story to feature length because what i read in dolan's cadillac felt like it could have been one of the better episodes of nightmares and dreamscapes the tv series you give it to michael mann right heat i had to be thinking like that was the stallone's the gangster i think that makes sense and then you get a good foil for him the the nerd that he picked on that's going to come and get him for a while i don't know if they were going to share the screen together but kevin bacon was also attached and he ended up making his own death wish reboot we covered Oh, yeah, we talked about that one, didn't we? Yeah, Death Sentence instead. But it was around the same time that this movie finally came together in the hands of Jeff Beasley. Who's Jeff Beasley? No, he's definitely somebody. Oh, come on. Turn on the Hallmark Channel right now. One of his delightful Christmas (laughs) movies is probably playing. Oh, no. He's got 37 new films that just came out this year on the Hallmark Channel, right? Yes. He went on from the (laughs) hard-edged, like, to hear him in, like, the bonus features on the disc, talking about being gritty, existential, wanting to really take people to a, a dark art film. Yeah, he calls this an art film. I want to drive that home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, how was this film received? I, d- I couldn't find a trailer for it. I don't remember seeing trailers for it or it being in theaters. It was not. <laughs> yeah, it did not go to any theater ever, anywhere. Oh, is that better or worse than TV movie? I don't know. This is the later stage Christian Slater, okay? This was after he'd sobered up, but had already burned all of his bridges. I think the last time he'd been in theaters was probably Jimmy Hollywood, okay? (laughs) No, I guess Broken Arrow, but this is definitely deep into his direct-to-video movie ways. I didn't realize he had a a whole library of direct-to-video stuff. Well, we covered Alone in the Dark, and he was in Hollow Man 2. Hollow Man 2? Oh. Yes. See, he's still taking Kevin Bacon's scraps. Okay. All right. (laughs) But yes, this is, yes, not being handled by Masters of Horror here. Someone that has a career in making cheesy TV holiday films. 
But yeah, should we hold that against them? Again, I'm holding on to the fact coming into this movie, knowing nothing about it, knowing that it didn't go to theaters, having the worst, really, feelings about it, that at least I like the source material. And, you know, who knows? Sometimes we get surprised. You know, that Quicksilver Highway, I liked half of it, sort of, in a cheesy way. So I'm hoping for that. The thing that fooled me is I looked at the poster and the DVD cover, Christian Slater's top build. I read this story, I'm like... Christian Slater's The Grieving Husband? I could see Wes Bentley as the mobster. I mean, Wes Bentley did play evil in Ghost Rider. I mean, let's not forget. No, please. Yeah, let's do that. I forgot. I've seen a bunch of movies that he's been in, and I've forgotten him in all of them. Yeah, he even has a line here that's similar. Jacob, your opening line... Yeah, and in Ghost Rider, it's, I am Legion for We Are Many. I mean, I'm thinking Ghost Rider with him here. Is that a positive thing? (laughs) But... I'm shocked they gave the top billing to Dolan. Well, I do think that Christian Slater, no matter how far he might fall into the pits with Nicolas Cage of movies no one's ever going to watch, he does have a pop culture appeal for the work that he put out in the 90s. And I I think you, Arnie, probably more than uh, Jacob or I, are someone that usually seeks him out. The idea that Stephen King and Christian Slater came together to make anything should wet your appetite a little listen christian slater is amazing in mr robot okay he has totally redeemed himself but just because i loved christian slater and pump up the volume when i was 16 and heathers when i was 15 doesn't mean i followed him into freaky deaky and way of the wicked okay i'm not a christian slater fan (laughs) oh look at you putting the distance between (laughs) you used to be that's all i can say Oh, I used to want to be him. I used to try to get the voice up. I just thought <laughs> the guy was the coolest. Yeah, and and I'll say this. Maybe Arnie and I have switched because I'm not a big Christian Slater fan. When he's good, he's good or whatever, but I don't follow his career or anything. But when I saw he was attached to this, I'm like, oh, that gives me a little bit of hope. Like, he's a real actor. And I guess that's how these direct-to-DVD things get you. They throw Nicolas Cage. They throw Bruce Willis. Some name you know. And you go, eh, how bad can it be? Yeah. Nick Nolte. Yeah, there's a, there's a posse of people that used to be somebody that now are doing this. I'll give him this, though. Christian Slater actually worked on this movie versus Bruce Willis, who shows up for one day, he films four scenes, gets top billing, and then goes and makes another piece of shit. Well, let's find out what Christian Slater did, then. He's Dolan. Arnie, tell us all about his Cadillac. I swear to God, Stephen King not only ripped off Poe, but he ripped off the song Willie the Wimp in his Cadillac Coffin. Who put out that song? I believe it was Stevie Ray Vaughan. Christian Slater plays human smuggler Jimmy Dolan. When Elizabeth Robinson, played by Emmanuel Vaugie, witnesses Dolan killing several people, the criminal tries to shoot the witness. Despite the objections of her husband Tom, played by Wes Bentley, Elizabeth agrees to testify against Dolan. Dolan uses his contacts to find where the Justice Department hid their witness, and Dolan's men assassinate Elizabeth. Distraught, Tom can only focus on revenge. He can't just shoot Dolan, the man's too well guarded. So Tom comes up with an elaborate plan. While he's just a school teacher, he takes a summer job working construction, learning to lay and cut up pavement. Then on Labor Day weekend, Tom cuts a large hole in the highway between Las Vegas and Los Angeles and hides the detour signs. Dolan's Cadillac rolls on by and falls right into the trap. In the hole, Dolan begs for his life, offering millions of dollars if Tom lets him go, but Tom buries the crime lord alive in his caddy as credits roll. I mean, it's a short, short story, and they've put it into a movie, but that's the plot. The whole thing about this movie is, I guess, atmosphere. There's not a whole lot of plot here. Yeah, and they somehow get it to stretch out to just over 80 minutes. And as we start off this film, like over the opening credits, we get some really cool goth poetry. I feel like we're being read, and... You know, this is Dolan's Cadillac. I saw that it was 2009. I'm like, better not make this an Escalade. Gotta be a Cadillac. Like, when you hear the word Cadillac, you think of a very specific car. At least I do. And it is not the SUV version, but it's 2009. So, yes, we're we're gonna get some goth poetry over this Escalade driving back and forth. I'm surprised they could afford it. Honestly, on the budget and the production values that we get in this movie, I'm surprised it's not like Dolan's Gremlin. I mean, it's, like, bad. $10 million budget. (laughs) 
Yeah, where did it go? I figured they just rented the Escalade and then, you know, they, they pay for the insurance too, so they could trash it. No, I'm going to say this movie is sufficiently funded. They have a Cadillac Escalade, and when the special effect comes, it's a practical one and it looks good. And you've got Wes Bentley from American Beauty, Christian Slater from a whole bunch of stuff, and Emmanuel Vosgeet. <laughs> Who I don't know. She has second billing. Like, how do you not know her? I don't know her either. I know her so well, I can't even pronounce her name. Yeah, the director swore that if she didn't become a big star in the three years after this movie came out, he would retire. Now they are both doing Hallmark movies. She is actually in his Christmas movies. But Emmanuel Vosgeet does get golden headphones. <laughs> not only was she in Saw 2 and Saw 4 mm-hmm. and Dolan's Cadillac... But Far Cry, that video game movie we reviewed, I think it was just earlier this year. And House of the Dead, too. She's done two Uva Bulls. Oh, that's right. And I know her from Wishmaster 3, which is one of the better Wishmasters, so... She was on the cover of Maxim. She was a desirable woman who wanted to have a acting career and did some guest spots on Two and a Half Men and CSI and said movies. And this is probably as big as it got. Unless you really, really, really love Hallmark Christmas movies. But with a small cast, I don't feel this movie looks cheap. Oh, yes, it does. It looks terrible. This movie is so... I kept thinking student film. Yeah, it does. Like, everything about this... You know how you can tell when someone didn't have enough money for coverage? When everything is a montage. When everything is this, like, hazy fading in and out and scenes just kind of come and go without any real sense of purpose. There are so many scenes here of Christian Slater just kind of running off at the mouth and then, like, fading away for no reason. Yeah, that's truthfully my thought, too. I didn't think it was lack of coverage i thought it was using every bit of footage they have to stretch the short story out yeah i i thought that's because they had to hit that 80 minute mark that was the only way they were going to cross that line <laughs> there's a story to be told here if it's dolan's cadillac you would think that he would be the figure you would focus on you would change the focus so that he would have a story of equal weight to this school teacher who loses his wife girlfriend partner whatever Kind of undefined. It's wife in the book, so... Okay. Yeah, I took it as wife because they're obviously trying to get pregnant. Right. They teach at the same elementary school. They live at the same place. And occasionally she goes riding out into the prairies for long periods of time on horseback to watch human traffickers. I was so confused because we get this scene where Tom is, he's giving this lesson, who built the railroads, immigrants, and then we're going to cut to this like U-Haul packed with what I'm thinking are immigrants. I guess they're actually sex slaves, immigrant sex slaves. I guess it's all of that. <laughs> but like, I'm like, oh, okay, this is going to be some story about, you know, the, these immigrants that are going to save the day somehow. No, they're all shot now. And there's this woman there on horseback. I think I saw her earlier in the film. Like, wow, like it's a lot of information to take in and, and it's uh, given to you you pretty incompetently this is what i mean about just the editing in this movie is like you, they don't properly establish things are those women dead are they just hot and can't get up because their air condition broke like they make it seem like they suffocate when the fan shorts out i really couldn't figure it out i think it's some of both i think some of them are dead this henchman roman the way he reacts to the smell i think some of them are dead but others of them are slowly waking up, so they just needed some air and, I guess, a bathroom break. And for reasons we'll never know, Dolan decides to kill the coyotes who brought these women over. That does not make any sense. That causes them all kinds of problems. Yeah, Johnny Wu will be sending goons to kill him for much of the next portion of the film. Like, he clearly needs women all the time, so why he wouldn't be toweling them off and seeing how he can use them does not make sense. And am I to understand the way this movie sells it, and correct me if I'm wrong, but about a third of this movie is focused on Dolan's human trafficking. In a very sexy way. Other than this opening scene with a lot of bleeding women in the back of a U-Haul and dirty, most of the time we're going to be seeing the sex slaves in lingerie and looking very happy to be there. He's going to fuck a giant at one point. Yeah, it, it, it's all about that lingerie. And like, seriously, like, her tits are level with his face. <laughs> she is huge and he is into it. But are we to think... 
oh, he's just into sex trafficking. That's not so bad. And then when he gets into kids, be like, oh, he's a bad man. I mean, even he can't believe he's doing that by the end. I'm like, that's how we know it's supposed to be super bad. Yeah, it's not just your regular old sex trafficker. He's he's selling children now. Yeah, that's it's a really distasteful thing to add to a story that really, really needed to give him equal weight. Like, I really feel like if you're making this as a feature, what he's going through needs to parallel on some level what's going on to, I guess, one of the bystanders or I don't know, is Tom a victim of his by it's really because his wife saw this failed trafficking that she becomes targeted and and he'll lose her. I don't I can't write the story for you. I don't know what would be meaningful. It really didn't even have to be about human trafficking. I just want to say none of that was in the story that they went that kind of gross way does make you feel like they thought they had something to say. But if they did, I don't know what it is. But they seem to at points glorify the human trafficking. Oh yes. And make the human trafficking look fun. And then when he starts doing children, it's like, oh, now he's gone too far. He's shooting people and forcing immigrants into sex slavery. And I think we're not supposed to hate him completely. (laughs) It's excellent that we've gotten here already. I really did feel like this is not the story that we were here to talk about. But okay, you're bringing up something very central. Christian Slater will not really appear on screen for the first 20 or so minutes before they finally give him his spotlight. And he will take that opportunity to delight us with every racial epithet there is. Well, at the 10-minute mark, he's talking about how the sex trafficking is the government keeping the poor people down, and sex traffickers help the poor. Yes, he's got a lot of self-delusions like that he is in some way helping people, and that if those women are dead, it's because of somehow the U.S. government. Yeah, he takes up much more of this first half hour than Wes Bentley does. I feel like he doesn't show up on screen for a long time. I wasn't looking at the clock. You're telling me 10 minutes. I thought it was 20 or 30. It was five before he's shooting people. And 10, he's ranting about the government. Are you serious? It feels much longer. Yeah, and again, I attribute that to that editing where everything is montage and you're like, you don't have a real concrete scene where there's a beginning, a middle, and an end, and you know what just happened. There's always just like sort of this hazy... You know, I don't know. All this photography about, like, yeah, when in doubt, cut to the Cadillac driving down the road. And the scene where he's shooting the people, Elizabeth Robinson here, Emmanuel Vogie's character, is the stupidest person because she's on a horse with nothing around her. No cover whatsoever. All they have to do is look at the top of a mesa and she can see her very clear. It's a short mesa at that. And she's just sitting there on a horse watching people be shot. And then without running, she's like, let me pull out my phone and call 911 while I stare at these criminals who could see me any second. Yeah, you know, I I thought of another movie in comparison that also came out in 2009 that had a similar scene. And that was No Country for Old Men with Josh Brolin when he kind of sees some illegal activity going on and he's trying not to be seen. Like, this really is the straight to video, like, no budget version of that. So incompetent. You're right. I was wondering what they must have been referencing, what they were going after, why they would bring in, again, what I would call gross elements. Like, you're bringing in things that are very unappealing for mass audiences. This is not going to get you, like, to get into the movie theaters by doing all of this sex slaves in the back of a pickup dying of asphyxiation. That's just, like, the opposite of attractive. But you're right. They must have thought, this director must have had delusions that he was telling some kind of noirish crime tale and that we're supposed to be buoyed. I think the reason why it would be considered fun is the salty language of Christian Slater. Now, I know that Christian Slater, his whole career, we've asked, would Jack Nicholson do this? Would Jack Nicholson be better in this than he is? I think that Jack Nicholson would have asked for more. He would have asked for more sympathy. More money. Well, we know that. <laughs> the $10 million would have all gone to him. If you're going to have a character this caustic and really this unappealing, you have to give them 
some sliver of something to make the audience like like them despite themselves. And what all I see is, yeah, just a disgusting individual just spewing hate the whole time. And yes, being asked in the end to, to like maybe have some kind of empathy for him. Yeah, just to flash forward where I thought this might be going because, like, it is so despicable when you get the revelation that it is children that he's going to be sex trafficking at the end. I figured, oh, here's the deal. Some way he's going to be able to stop that from happening and Tom's going to have, like, this moment. Do I get revenge or do I save these children? Like, I really was looking for, for something that, like, why would they take... Dolan's so dark in this if they weren't going to have some kind of moment where he might be somewhat redeemable. And the only thing I can think of to speak to that is that Tom and Elizabeth are trying to have a kid. That The big part of the setup here is that she wants to be pregnant and is always running to the bathroom to take a pregnancy test and they're school teachers of small children. And so maybe it is some kind of poetic justice that a man that tries to become predatory towards that group is going to be undone by messing with this chick and this guy. How did we not have the scene at the hospital after her death where they're like, and she was pregnant? They always do that in these cheesy movies. I mean, a ghost is going to tell him that she was pregnant. He's going to see like a ghost pee test later. But Jacob, I envy you because you haven't read the story. I read the story and know how thin it is. And so unless they greatly embellish this, like lawnmower man level of changing page to screen... I know what I'm in for, and it's going to be very slow. And you are able to think about these things coming up like, oh, maybe he's going to save the children. I actually liked it better in the short story where Tom didn't know what kind of criminal Dolan was. Just that he was a criminal. It was a revenge story. You killed my wife. That's all you need is kill the wife, and thus you are bringing about the wrath of the husband. The fact that he's a sex trafficker, it doesn't make his death feel more righteous. No, it's because they need an extra 40 minutes, so we're going to see Christian Slater zooming back and forth between Vegas and L.A., looking at his direct feed of, like, girls with numbers. Yes, I'll get that one. I'll take number seven. Like, there's so much of that. I'm like, none of this is necessary because you're not making a point about sex trafficking or immigrants or all this stuff you gave lip service to right at the beginning. Like, none of that matters here. So, yeah, just tell me he's a bad guy. I'll believe you. Yeah, I think that they do this, honestly, because they think uh, we need hot women in this. You know, like, if there's not really a role for women. I mean, that is part of the straight-to-video thing is, yeah, you might get a little nipple there or something that you wouldn't in the theater. Yeah, but to do it this way. But there's nothing hot about sex-trafficked women. No, I, I agree. Like, it's awful. I find a lot of different things hot, but the moment you put somebody into sex slavery, I don't care if they look like Emmanuel Vosgy. I'm not finding that hot. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I, again, when we see mounds of dead bodies like rolling off these trucks, uh, you, you do, again, you really do wonder what this director was after and how he thought he could recoup a $10 million budget. Yeah, that's just not going to pack him in. Yeah, it could have just been drugs and it would have been, you wouldn't have to cast as many right. people, like just have some baggies filled with flour and you're good. Yeah, but you say the director, but this was written by Richard Dooling and I did look him up and... He's a novelist that I don't really know of for much, but I wonder how much he might have brought into it. Well, he brings Stephen King cred, I guess. Uh, he adapted Lars von Trier's The Kingdom miniseries into what became Stephen King's ABC series. I don't know if we're going to cover that one or not, but Kingdom Hospital, that was him. But I just hate to put it all on Beasley. Why? I, I mean, I, again, he's at front and center. He's the one, let me put it this way. He's the one in the promotional materials talking about the intent. If you're going to hear what people were thinking about creative choices here, you're not going to see Stephen King. You're not going to see the screenwriter. You're going to see this director talking about how he wanted to challenge a popcorn movie and make it more of an art movie with an existential road vibe or something again. Okay. The moment he says existential art film about this, yes, admittedly, I want to shoot him too. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, I look to you guys. You guys seem to prefer the more artsy A24 type thing. Is this an A24 revenge film? No, this is a this is an, is an F24 maybe. Yeah, right. Again, <laughs> A24 has high production values and every shot of this movie is ugly. Yeah. A sin. I can't stand looking at this film. Just orange. That's what sticks out to me. So much orange. Yeah, just nasty, ugly, yeah, the oversaturated, just gross. Just like the subject matter, it's just the kind of queasy feeling of like, boy, those nachos from lunch are like, maybe I got food poisoning and I think I might have to run to the <laughs> toilet kind of feeling as you're sitting through this movie. Well, it's appropriate then that so much of the first act takes place on the toilet with this wife who's always peeing on a stick and they're in witness protection because she saw that murder. I guess she went to the FBI. She went to the sheriff and they didn't care. Again, more racial epithets. And then, yeah, they put a corpse in her bed so they know that she saw. That's right. Right, yes. <laughs> because she dropped her phone, so they have that information. Yeah, I guess. I guess she didn't password lock it. So a, a tip, if you see a murderer, always password lock your phone. 2009, I wasn't, uh, yeah, I didn't have a screen lock at that time. But yes, the FBI has promised more than they can, that they that they can keep them safe. And they're st- obviously staying in really shitty motels, even. I'm not sure, like, where on the strip this is supposedly. But yeah, she's going to testify, and before she does, runs out for, what does she want? Another pregnancy test? A pregnancy test, yeah, because she has to puke in the middle of the night. And so she's like, I must be pregnant. I need a test. I'm out. Let me run outside. Like, she doesn't even, we see her husband. He'll put on a sweat shirt she just goes out in a tank top like she is so excited to be pregnant at this moment and you say before she can testify they mentioned they've been in witness protection for two months we had all those montages of them ordering pizzas and they don't even have a case yet there's no evidence to convict this guy yet they keep saying we'll keep you safe until we find a body we need you to testify after we have hard physical evidence to back it up and so they are indefinitely in this purgatory of this motel which i think they're in la isn't it i don't know where they're supposed to be vegas la it was all shot in canada no some was shot in vegas they thank vegas at the end yeah maybe some stock footage but my thing is, if you're going into witness protection, throw them in Montana for those indefinite months until you get some evidence. Not right around the corner from where Dolan is. How do you keep your job if you're in witness protection for months? How do you then get out of witness protection and have a job to go back to? Yeah, that, I, w- I was worried about them getting their teaching jobs back. <laughs> yeah. But they do. I mean, he goes back because he's all strung out on drugs and tries to teach sixth grade and is, you know, too high on antidepressants. Yeah, I don't know. Again, this hazy, like this, it feels eternal, right? Like this is definitely one of those movies where you're watching the clock and you can't believe how slowly the seconds are going. It, it here's why. Like, because my, my hypothesis is they just need to have scenes of dialogue to get to 80 minutes. The husband and wife keep having this conversation like, honey, why do you got to testify? This is just putting us in danger. And then she'll give some speech and then they go to the next scene. And then he's going to ask the same, like, no, you already resolved that question. Like, move on. But no, they hit that beat like three times yeah it really is a very very poorly adapted work and didn't have to be just because something came from a short story doesn't mean that it can't be expanded upon you just have to think about what you're trying to tell and all i'm getting from this is we want to see sleazy like all these sex scenes like even them when in the hotel room like they're just eating pizza and having sex on a couch it's just like is there nothing else But they do kill the wife at about the 20 minute mark. And then is it really 20 minutes? Yeah, I would have sworn it was 40. It feels so much longer. This is so amazing. I I will never watch it again. But if I did, I would definitely have it with like a stopwatch just to be like, this is amazing. (laughs) The like illusion of time passing. It's just 10 (laughs) times greater than it is. It's like there's that sobriety test where the cops are like, okay, in your head, count to 30 (laughs) and tell me when you think it's been 30 seconds. Like I would have been arrested (laughs) and and booked for DUI (laughs) if I had to judge the time on this film. It's the 25 minute mark where he's, you can tell I was clock watching Mm. this (laughs) at 25 minutes. He goes to buy a gun to get revenge on 
Dolan and gets a gun much bigger and badder than Dirty Harry's gun. And I do laugh out loud when he first test fires that gun. The recoil knocks him on his ass and half a mesa crumbles off of that one bullet. I thought that was a pretty good shot. Like, that was their money shot. It it was pretty entertaining, that one. Wes Bentley. Don't have a whole lot of feeling about him, but he did sort of make his mark early in American Beauty as sort of the poet neighbor that, like, somehow had figured suburbia out and was teaching the teenage daughter the lies of adulthood. I guess cynicism, this is sort of what you would cast him in. The idea that a happy school teacher has everything robbed from him and now he's going to transform in the book it just really i mean they really have him like muscle up and really physically taxi driver kind of transform i don't see that here in this performance as i'm watching this that's one of my big problems with it is arnie you you say sly was gonna have that tom roll no like that's too muscular but Whatever Wes Bentley is, that's not right either. I need someone, like, they're lean, but they're going to have muscle. Like, there's some menace to them, and I don't get that from Bentley at all. And and that's a problem. I I just, if this is going to be a credible revenge tale, I got to believe this person can actually hurt me. I don't blame Wes Bentley for not doing the whole Christian Bale physical transformation for this movie. I mean, I'm surprised anyone's just acting for this film. But think about how much better this would be if it were Christian Bale. I guess that's all <laughs> I'm asking. Is like, Imagine if an actor did just commit to this piece of shit and give it some authenticity. Like, you would at least be able to say, <laughs> okay, this is really like a cheap production, but look at this guy go to hell and back. I mean, that is, I think, the entertainment value. It's certainly, maybe you're entertained by Slater, but again, for me, every scene that he's in, I just feel nauseous. Yeah, no, my jaw was on the floor with every scene of his. I'm like, I can't believe he's saying that. I can't believe they're showing this. I can't believe this is his character. Yeah, I can't believe they think they're funny. Yeah, I can't believe they think it's sexy when he's trying to get two women to kiss. And I just keep thinking, these are slaves. Yeah, I I would hope that that would be a very, like, on all the cards, if they bothered to screen this, everyone is like, we want less <laughs> of the sex slavery. This is not appealing. But it's only about 30 minutes in that Dolan gets attacked by his partners in Vegas and... It's obvious that that Cadillac is bulletproof and Tom is going to need to do a lot more and a lot more stalking and monologuing. I thought, yeah, like this big reveal is it's going to be a harder revenge story than we might have thought because he's got a bulletproof Cadillac. And I'm like, oh, does he have oil slick and smoke screen? Like all the stuff on that Spy Hunter video game. Like, yes, do that. I thought it was going to be like almost, you know, a, a car chase thing at the end, like where he has to overcome all these built in traps that this Cadillac has because the Cadillac is the name of the film. It's It's got to be super important. Yeah, I think what we're supposed to get out of it and it would only be important if like they made the movie entirely within the Cadillac. If you did something that really drew attention to it, if you understood that Christian Slater was always protected and always sort of insulated by being in this vehicle, then you'd have the only way to kill him is by burying him alive in it. Like, I think that's what's supposed to transpire here. But we have way too many scenes of Christian Slater in, like, cheap motel rooms and warehouses. And I don't feel like he is in this Cadillac that much. Like, talking business that does not matter. Yeah, so much business talk. Like, I feel like maybe I could be a sex trafficker after seeing this. I've learned so much about it because they have nothing else to fill up the time with. Well, there is one especially egregious addition to this film. It's pretty early on still, but it should have been the end of the movie. Is when Tom is following this Cadillac and gets into a construction zone and is behind them and starting to freak out. And this goon Roman runs the plate and remembers... Elizabeth Robinson's husband's name. Wait, wait, Artie, you've skipped over a very important point. They have a little computer in their Cadillac where he puts it like instant feedback who owns that car from the plate number. And then they go to a live feed with the reverse camera to see who's in the car. It's oh boy. Honestly, it's not that shocking today because you can have this tech in your car today for like $200. But I guess, yes, in 2009, this was some pretty futuristic shit. Yeah, it never has a director made that technology look so cheap. Just by how it looks. But the confrontation at the urinal. I like the menace where Tom is taking a piss and then Jimmy comes in on one side, Roman comes in on the other. Tom knows he's fucked. Jimmy starts talking about the arc of descent, which is from the short story, but it has to do more with 
trying to figure out how to trap a car than anything else here. And then I just wonder, as they beat the shit out of Tom, why don't they kill him? Jimmy kills indiscriminately without a thought. He killed his business partners without thinking. And then they killed three people in front of a hotel on the Vegas Strip and just drove away like we don't care. Why do they let him live? And then they decide they're going to put it in the script and have Roman say... Why'd you let him live, boss? And he's going to go back and be like, we're in a relationship. This does not help. Artie, I went through this same emotional arc that you did during the scene, too, because I'm like, why are they letting him live? He should be instantly dead. This is dumb. And then they walk out. Hey, boss, why'd you let him live? Oh, let me go give a whole other speech because we got to hit 80 minutes. Like, I could not believe it. I think this is the heat moment, right? There's not a lot of scenes between Wes Bentley and... And Christian Slater. There is this moment and then the end. This is funny. I was thinking Heat as well. I can't believe we both went to the best Michael Mann movie. Well, I won't agree with that part of it. But yeah, I do think that they were probably thinking about that in terms of like, we have these two people that are living Maybe, again, if you had calibrated this correctly, two guys that are living these insulated lives who come together in the middle and then try to kill each other at the end. And yes, I think what's happened here is that these people think they're Tarantino. They think this dialogue is some kind of crime poetry, but it's just a lot of filth and nonsense. Yeah, bad justifications. And yes, it really would be something if we had Christian Bale and Quentin Tarantino dialogue. And there is a way of taking this gutter language scenario and making it feel existential and powerful. But when it fails, it looks worse than just your average B-movie. It makes it really stink to high heaven. I mean, just lines like, I sentence you to life. Like, ugh. Okay, you got nothing. Well, no, but they thought they had something. It's what we call pretension. When you really think you've done (laughs) something amazing and you're stinking (laughs) up the place. That's really what I'm getting here. Is that they're proud of what they're presenting and it's so juvenile and bad. Yeah, this scene should be the end of the movie. The way you guys are talking, you probably feel like it's two hours into the movie. We're just getting past the half an hour mark. Yeah, we haven't even gotten to the story. It should be said, as Arnie's already talked about, the story really was about a guy who's unveiling his plans to the reader uh, slowly. And we see him like, I need to join a... When does he realize that putting the car into a hole? He In the story or in this movie? I, I feel like there should have been a light bulb moment, but I'm not. I'm not really clear about what it is. I don't think it is ever clear in this. It's just he gets a job working construction because he's got to get his mind off of being a failure at getting revenge. And in the short story, I think he starts working construction before he has his plan. He just knows Dolan goes one way and another. And the way they tell it in the story is he's having conversations with his dead wife like they do in this movie. And he's like... He thinks about trapping him with a fake detour sign, and then that he'd never pull that off. And she goes, well, then get him with a real detour sign. And so I think he knows it's going to be some kind of road revenge, but it isn't until he's working construction that he has the idea of digging the hole. Yeah, what's weird is... I thought he had that in store. Like, okay, I'll get a job working construction because he puts a lot into it. He's going to offer up that gold watch from his great-grandfather who is an immigrant working on the railroads. I thought this was going to be a movie about immigrants or something, but no, that just that watch is set up here to bribe himself to get this job. And I thought he wanted that so he could plot some kind of revenge to get Dolan. But then there's a scene like later on where he's like, oh, darn, I'm not going to be working that day because like the, the foreman's like, yeah, you're going to be back in school. And then like something clicks. I'm like, wait, Was he just, like, working to get strong and, like, work out his issues this whole time? Or was this a revenge (laughs) plot the whole time? It's so confusing because, yeah, the incompetency here. You want to understand psychology in a movie like this. You want to understand why characters are doing what they're doing. And again, I definitely think the choice to be made is you can't get into Dolan's Cadillac. If it's called Dolan's Cadillac and there was a shootout and nobody got got him, it's all because this amazing car is his body armor. And so you have the epiphany of, I'm going to turn it into his tomb. I'm going to bury him in that car and then it won't matter. All that protection will be for want because he'll be six feet under. You just want to clearly see those moments. But this movie, almost nothing is clear. And 
I mean, I don't have much to say about the next hour of the movie. <laughs> no, no, I agree. Let's just skip through it. There's a whole lot of sex trafficking and a whole lot of Wes Bentley looking constipated while working construction equipment. Yeah, big old long montage. Yeah, Blocker and Tink are his friends or something. They teach him how to use the equipment to dig the hole and all of that. But again, you want those moments to like underline like where this guy's going. If he doesn't have the plan yet, we want to see the light bulb come on. We want to see the criminal thoughts coming together. That's the whole point of a movie like this. I mean, Taxi Driver, another example of Robert De Niro didn't know he was going to be a political assassin, but we watch how life sort of brought him to that epiphany. Here, yeah, it's just bad plotting and a whole lot of hazy montage and and wannabe Tarantino dialogue. Yeah, every time they pull out that gold watch to taunt him, because he made a deal like, you hire me, I'll do this job. If not, you get to keep my grandpappy's gold watch. And like the way they like pull it out, like, oh, you're getting tired. Remember your watch, which... I don't know if he ever gets that watch back or not. And like, I'm, adults don't act like this. No, he gets his watch back. The guy says, here, I don't want your damn watch. And you're going to kill yourself if you keep working that. So we're going to teach you to work some other equipment. Like, he earns their respect. It's very cool hand Luke. Does he? Okay. Oh, I thought he told him to keep that watch because they were taking pity on him or something. Okay. I read that scene different. Anyway, let's just get to the car burial because none of this really matters. The point is Labor Day comes <laughs> along. I guess that's the beginning of the school year. So it has to be on this. But is he really still employed there? Because he did really like look like a shit show when he was showing up to work like all high. I know that like I wouldn't think he'd keep his job, but I guess he, this is just his summer break. I know a lot of teachers take summer jobs. Yeah, this is a summer thing. So he didn't do summer school. He did this. Yeah. So this is the last chance he has. And wouldn't you know it, there's going to be this opportunity where all these things come together and Dolan's going to be taking the drive from Vegas to LA and he can be routed into this pit. Yeah, because the hole is covered in like canvases that he painted. Like we see during this montage where he's preparing the pit, like he's got chalk out. I'm like, what is he doing sidewalk chalk art? Like what, what, what is going on here? But I guess he's touching up his, his lane lines or something on those canvases he brought to cover the hole. Probably. I mean, it's kind of an ingenious idea. Like I wish that it weren't being thrown away in this crappy movie. I'll say this, Stuart, like, look, this isn't good, but maybe you're right. Like, this is a good story. Like, I see something good here. Like, this is an interesting conflict going on, like trapping the guy there and taunting him. And like, what is the epiphany? What What is the conclusion? Like, that's kind of what matters between this whole face off between the two. But I thought it was an interesting idea. Mm -hmm, for sure. It seems to me like the road is the metaphor and the whole wife should have been killed on this road and everything about this road should have been more important. There's just ways of tightening this up. And I don't want to sit here and try and workshop a movie that was made 10 years ago poorly, <laughs> but it is... My sadness is I can't just shit on this movie because I did like that story and it is like making me sad that it, like this is the effort to bring it alive on screen. Well, then you should really like this movie because it's a pretty direct adaptation at this point. Is that why, like, because this was written in the 80s, right? Yes. Because there's a scene where... Remember, there's like an onboard computer in this car, and Tom is like, okay, put in this web address. And remember, this movie's filmed in 2009, and he goes, H-T-T-P, I'm like... 2009 this is 1994 or something like http no one types that like there's some really weird moments maybe because they were just going by the page but like there was things like that that just sticks out as incompetency it might be because he was going to 192.168 though which is a local ip address a private ip maybe it wasn't set up to auto redirect for the http header and it had to really route to port 80 the computer scientist has spoken i'll give it this their networking was on point. I was shocked they used a 192.168 address. I'm like, they have a networker on job here. And I thought that was a cool way to escalate it. Like, now you could see the man burying you. But no, Dolan's just going to smash that monitor. Like, it doesn't really add up to much. I want to give this one compliment before here, though. The car going into the hole looked great. 
They looked okay. I thought that looked like real road that the car was hitting. And when it turned out to be like plywood and a tarp over it, I thought that was a really well done practical effect of the car crashing. I don't really like the visual style of this movie, so I can't say it looked great. But that particular effect was not offensive. How about that? Yeah, it didn't stand out to me as anything special. I was just thinking when I'm reading the short story, how are they going to make it look? How is a road with a hole in it and some wily coyote like covering going to look? And they made it look like real road that this car crashed into. I am truly impressed with the car crash effect. Less so Christian Slater's acting on the soundstage that's supposed <laughs> to be the interior of the car. Ugh. Yeah, I don't think he's doing himself any favors here. And I, again, I'm trying to think about the delight we're supposed to be taking in him being, I don't know, if I ever felt like he was going to get out of it, if I ever felt like Wes Bentley's character almost didn't get away with burying him alive, it would be one thing. But once Christian Slater goes in this hole, he's got no game. There's just nothing he can do to save his own life. So it, he really spends a whole lot of time just looking foolish and cursing. Help me out with something. In the story, it wasn't an Escalade. And so in the story, it didn't have a sunroof. Here, Wes Bentley's Tom says, try the sunroof when he's talking to Jimmy, and Jimmy doesn't know who it is. And Jimmy says the sunroof doesn't work. And that makes it real easy for Tom, because that was the way out of this hole. And so, since the sunroof didn't work, but later on... Jimmy's going to pop out of that thing like a jack-in-the-box. Did I miss? Yeah, he, he starts tearing away at the interior and reveals an emergency latch so he can open it up. Okay, I missed that little bit. My attention waned during this 40-minute <laughs> trap. I don't blame you. <laughs> but he is down there, Dolan, begging, offering $5 million, offering to turn himself into the cops, this, that, and the other. And you know what? Of course, if I was Tom, all I'd think is, sure, you'll give me $5 million, then you'll have me killed. You had my wife killed. There's no way I can trust you. But when Dolan pops out of that sunroof, if Dolan had popped out with his hands up and been like, okay, let's talk, maybe he could have actually talked his way out of it. But he pops out of there and just starts shooting. <laughs> That's not going to help your case. You want there to be a chess match. I'm sorry, but if this is a standoff, it's not going to be an action movie. You're really strongly advocating the opposite of action if everything is taking place in a Cadillac that's buried in the ground. You want the, the wit and the power play. It's got to be like misery. It's got to be like James Caan, immobile in a bed. How is he going to get out of this? How is he going to trick uh, his captor into allowing his road to freedom. We got to have some of that feeling or otherwise it's just this horrible person that we can't wait to see buried alive. What else is very weird and incompetent is you got Fletcher, this FBI guy who just keeps calling him just to give him updates like on their whole case against Dolan, which seems weird. I don't think they'd actually do that, but he's like, hey, we, we found some evidence. We're going to get him right now. And it's supposed to be this moment of pause for Tom. Oh, am I doing the right thing? Should I hand him over? Maybe that's just thing. I don't know. But like, again, none of that pays off for anything. He, he just kills the guy. And so it doesn't matter what the FBI did. Yeah, that should be a moment of tension because what it tells you is that those people are coming down the road, that they're tracking this car, that Wes Bentley is not going to get away with this, which is definitely a sensation, whether you're empathetic about him or not. I think we probably all are, but you would want him at some point to be struggling with like, am I going to get away with what I just did? Instead, those cops never show up. It's just an irony. The irony is if you allow the government to do its business, it'll never find the stuff that you need. Uh, you got to do it on your own. I mean, I guess that's the sentiment. Except right when this is happening, an ad that isn't in the story, the government is finally getting the evidence they need against Dolan. They're trapping him for the child trafficking, and they're like, now we have a real case. He's doing kids. All of those women, who cares? But he's doing kids, so we can arrest him now. So what are we to take of that? That it, that it was a mistake for Tom to become this 
this killer? Has he lost his soul? Yeah, with this maniacal laughter that it closes on, I'm trying to figure out what the point is. Like, did the FBI, did they say that they arrested the real Dolan and this is like some fake one? That was another one of my guesses. Like, you get the wrong Cadillac and have that guilt his whole life or something. I don't know. You you killed a guy sex trafficking kids. That, that's way better than him living for the next 60 years in the U.S. justice system. Yeah, you want to talk about government inefficiency the taxpayer money Tom saved us alone is worth his effort. Yeah, so I don't get the maniacal laughter like he's he's lost his soul or something by doing this. There's just weird moralizing going on in this movie that some human trafficking is better than others and maybe burying the man who killed your wife who was a human trafficker is as bad as human trafficking. I feel like Christopher Lloyd needs to come by and tell us there is no moral. Yeah, I mean, like, the fact that they couldn't even find the bodies. There were, like, 30 women in a truck and the, a woman telling them where she saw it go down and they it, like, took them years to, like, find it. I don't know. I don't get anything in this movie. But did you get joy? Jacob, Stewart, do you recommend a ride in Dolan's Cadillac? Jacob. No joy. No joy for the listeners this Christmas. No joy for us with this thing. Like, no, this is no fun. It, it's incompetent. It is a piece of commerce that needs to hit the 81 minute mark so you could call itself a feature length film and get on the shelves at Walmart. And so you just get all these scenes, like th these little scenes. It's almost worth watching just to see like the incompetence. It's not quite Brown Arrow though, because when an 80 minute film feels like four hours, that is not fun to sit through. But it, it was interesting. Interesting, at least to see in the ways that this was incompetent and it was just throwing in extra dialogue scenes to get to where it needs to be. But no, straight to DVD and then take that DVD and take it straight to the garbage. Do not watch this. Not recommend. Stuart. Yeah. Like many, most, maybe even Stephen King works, amusingly ghoulish premise stretched well beyond the entertainment value to the point that you're just like, please end. Just please. This was never meant to be... A feature movie. If you're going to do that, and I would advocate it can be done, you would have to think about Dolan. You would have to spend some time on his story and not just have it be Christian Slater just nihilistically riffing hatred and bile and, yeah, trafficking women and children. And maybe we're supposed to enjoy that or maybe we're not. But, yeah, you definitely had to find a way to find the appeal of Dolan and that's certainly where this movie as a feature has failed. As an adaptation, Dolan should be wicked. He should not be repulsive. But yeah, Kristen Slater is really slumming it. And he can't be buried fast enough. Frankly, I'm sure he wishes all the copies of this movie were in that Cadillac with him. And the other problem is that I just find this production value to be amateur, like student film, like run and gun. We don't have the permits to actually be shooting in Vegas. So just like grab a camera. Like I remember those days you just run into a place, try to get the shot really fast and then go, ha ha, we got it. And then you get the footage back and go, yeah, it's shaky. It looks terrible. This is unusable, but they did put it out as a movie and it's a very unpleasant watch. And that's again, my sadness is that I like the story. It didn't have to go this route probably would have always been best as a short in an anthology maybe put that cadillac on quicksilver highway but you know it, it didn't have to be this miserable this movie is a flat tire going nowhere fast i've always wanted a cadillac i don't live a cadillac lifestyle i drive a hyundai but I'd love an Escalade, especially, remember when in, like, the aughts, all the ballers were rolling in their Escalade and the hip-hop songs? I remember songs about Escalades, yes. Yeah. And the one thing I think about Cadillacs is luxury, but the second thing is reliability and power. Like, you know, you're not topping the hip-hop charts and driving five miles an hour. You've got a car that can actually go fast and be badass, and a luxury ride. And here, I've never seen a Cadillac move so slow as Dolan's Cadillac moves here. I cannot believe that they did exactly the laziest thing when I was trying to decide how would you take this and extend it into a movie. The laziest thing you could do is exactly what they did. Film what was written as two-thirds of the movie, make the backstory, which was very efficiently told in the short story, the first third of the movie, bring in actors who once had careers worth having and let them phone in their work 
And the result is this. And I can't say I hated this. I can. The human trafficking bit left a bad taste in my mouth. A lot of a bad taste because I just feel like they're using moral relativity around human trafficking and I don't go for that. Not to mention half of this is Skinamax, but the women are all like being bound in trucks. There's never once a nipple, okay? I'll give them that. They never actually show the women kiss. There's no nudity. I don't feel... If they went into a sex scene with one of these, a true Skinamax sex scene, I'd probably have just turned this off and vomited. I mean, no. They don't go there. They hint at it, and that's bad enough. Yes, that would have been too far. But I didn't hate the movie. I was just bored by it. I'm like, this is a faithful adaptation, like Mick Garris' level of faithful to King's work. A lot of the dialogue comes straight out of King's short story, but the way they've chosen to extend this to quote-unquote feature length is beyond repair. Yeah, it's... A broken down, not recommend. I think I would put it, you know, it's so hard to know where to rank, but I would put it with those movies that make me feel, like literally watching them makes me feel bad. Firestarter 2 is one that I just feel bad, just thinking about the imagery, everything about that movie made me feel awful. (laughs) Malcolm McDowell. Yeah, this made me feel like Firestarter 2, so I'm putting it probably in the bottom third of the King Works. To me, this is sitting somewhere in the middle, but I'm wondering, how long is it going to be before we can get to some King I can recommend again? I mean, is there any left to recommend? I remember really liking The Green Mile. That's the next one after Nightmares and Dreamscapes. We're done with that. Okay, so there are recommends. Green Mile will hopefully bring green arrows. I'm just chalking up the Night Flyer. I haven't seen it yet, but I have no hope for Nightmares and Dreamscapes (laughs) at this point. Yeah, I agree that we have one more story to cover. The last Nightmare and Dreamscape movie is something with Miguel Ferrer that, like, I think it, like, was going to be in theaters in the late 90s, and then things happened and it went straight to tape. So those things have to be that it was bad, right? That has to be part of the equation was the movie was not good. So, yes, I'm (laughs) not hopeful about the movie we're getting in two weeks. But I will say this much. One of the best Stephen King works or movies that I've seen is still to come, for sure. Top five for me. Dreamcatcher? <laughs> Shit weasels! No, not that one. Although that one's pretty entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, listeners. Have a very Merry Christmas. Sorry. Maybe you got luckier than us. Maybe you got a Cadillac with that big bow on the top like you see in car commercials this morning on Christmas morning. Maybe you're at a Kingsman and you'll join us next week when we actually cover a movie that people want to see. Or The Matrix this Friday. We're getting to the sequel if you're a donor. Yes, if you are a blue pill level donor or a patron at Podbean or Patreon for $50 or more, You already have the first four Matrix reviews. Yes, remember the Animatrix? There are four Matrix reviews. And the fifth Matrix review is coming out this Friday as we enter the sequel. I haven't seen it as of this recording, and I have no idea what we're in for. (laughs) Yeah, I've seen the trailers, and I don't know what to expect. Mm -hmm. The Wachowskis have been all over the place. They've given us good movies. They've given us really terrible movies. And The Matrix feels like it always should have had a better sequel than it did. Maybe this can be the one to atone for two and three. So find the details on how to hear all the Matrix reviews and Ghostbuster reviews and Paranormal Activity reviews. We'll be getting back to that in the new year. All the details are at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. We know it's the holiday season, it's Christmas Day, but anything you can do to help out our show is always appreciated, be it in the holiday season or the new year. And Jacob Stewart, thanks for taking this ride with me. And we'll talk to you next week, you motherfuckers, you fucker of mothers. Experimental Law of Impacts, or Isaac Newton, describes something called the Arc Descent. It's all about kinetics, mass, velocity, the inertia of falling persons and things. Once a descending object acquires a certain momentum, it continues on a downward parabolic curve to eventual impact with an immovable object at the nadir, the bottom. 
thereby consummating the arc of descent. Starkly poetic, don't you think? Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Nice work. That's a nice one. Now that you've heard the movie review, head to booksandnachos.com to hear Orny's reviews and analysis of Stephen King's original novels. I waited and I watched. I watched and I waited. And also come back to nowplayingpodcast.com each week for another new movie review. Splendid! More like this. In the nowplayingpodcast.com archives, you can find many more reviews of Stephen King films, including Sometimes They Come Back, The Lawnmower Man, Carrie, Salem's Lot, The Shining, Children of the Corn, and more. Roman is downloading now. In our archives are also reviews of film series such as The Avengers, Star Trek, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, Scream, Transformers, and Robocop. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. Ever have one of those moments where everything, I mean, everything in the universe makes perfect sense? Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. Price is what you pay, value is what you get. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. No cunny, no money. You can also join the Now Playing Patron campaign. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. Plus, even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our hosts to review. Find the details on our website. We are in a relationship now, you and I. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. He has the name of a thousand demons. Associate produced by Jason. He looks like anybody you see on the street. Now Playing is edited by Heath and Arnie. Why are you pulling this crap on your system? I've got my reasons. Now Playing credit narration by Brock. If you're still out there, just talk to me! I think I want to talking hurt! The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. You don't believe me? You clear some of this dirt away, look at my face, huh? You will see a human being who is ready to repent! Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. It's just gonna make more work for us later. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. Gotta help anybody gets in your way. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Vinganza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the expressed written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. You say that? day you die is just like any other day, only shorter. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2021, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. The meaning of life is that it stops. That's what makes it so precious, right? When Elizabeth Robinson, played by Emmanuel Vaugie. One moment, please. You're going to look up her pronunciation? <laughs> no, it's Vaugie. Okay. The dogs just started going fucking nuts. <laughs> no. They love Emmanuel Vaugie. I mean, what, can you blame them? <laughs> I can tell you why. She is hot. She did get second billing for some reason. I think they're quiet now. <laughs> Jacob Stewart. Thanks for taking this ride with me. And we'll talk to you next week, you motherfuckers. You fucker of mothers. Is that a line in this? Yes. That construction guy. Motherfucker. Fucker of mothers. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yes. What a bad movie. <laughs>